I worked with English Pen, the International Association of Writers, for over 20 years because I believe in the power of words. I come from a family of writers, and I grew up with books. My grandmother, Joanna Cannon, was an early member of Penn. My aunt, Josephine Pullen-Thompson, was Gen Sec and then president of English Penn. After I read Andrew Graham Yule's memoir, A State of Fear, about the years of terror and chaos in Argentina between 1975 and 1983, I knew that I wanted to work in the field of human rights. He wrote about the disappeared, the voiceless. His words profoundly changed me. Writers are often in the front line because they are uniquely placed to challenge preconceived ideas and stereotypes. They are able to articulate truths and encourage empathy. At Penn, I campaigned on behalf of writers worldwide who had been persecuted for exercising their right to freedom of expression, for attempting to inspire a more tolerant society, for trying to bring order out of chaos, for daring to dream. True art is not an indulgence, but a fundamental defense of humanity. Art is stronger than propaganda. In this era of fake news, let's remember those journalists who have lost their lives trying to report the truth. The Russian journalist Anna Politkovskaya was shot dead on the 7th of October 2006, and few doubt that her horrific murder was in retribution for her fearless writing. She'd been writing, she'd been receiving death threats for years, because of articles she had written claiming that the Russian armed forces were committing human rights abuses in Chechnya. Despite these death threats, she continued to write. Like prominent Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi, she suffered the ultimate form of censorship. Khashoggi entered his country's consulate in Istanbul on the 2nd of October 2018 to obtain a marriage document and he disappeared. After nearly two weeks of denials, Saudi Arabia eventually admitted that he had been killed within the consulate. Khashoggi had been living in the United States since summer 2017 and had been openly critical of the Saudi regime. In a column he wrote for the Washington Post newspaper, he wrote about the need to speak out against injustice. I have left my home, my family, and my job, and I am raising my voice. To do otherwise would betray those who languish in prison. I can speak when they cannot. I want you to know that Saudi Arabia has not always been as it is now. We Saudis deserve better. The tragic deaths of Politkovskaya and Khashoggi underline the continued need to protect journalists like them, who continue to, to speak out against human rights violations in defiance of those who would silence them. Free expression is a fundamental human right. If you believe in the equal 
and dignity and inalienable rights of every member of the human family, then you will understand the need to endorse and protect the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and in particular, the right to freedom of expression. Article 19. Everyone has the right to freedom of opinion and expression. This right includes freedom to hold opinions without interference and to seek, receive, and impart information and ideas through any media and regardless of frontiers. A totalitarian regime may be highly controlling and ordered in its repression, but inequality the lack of unity among its people will inevitably bring chaos. Writers and journalists recognize that through their words, they can inspire a more tolerant society, but they often suffer for their work. Many end up detained, tortured, and exiled. After his release from prison, the Iranian writer, Farad Sakui, once told me that every time a gun was head to, held to his head, he recalled Beethoven's Ode to Joy. This transported him to another realm and gave him the necessary distance to ensure his survival. He also used writing to create an emotional distance from the horrors and dehumanization he was forced to endure. In his novel, We Make Death Easy, Farid Sakui invented a narrative device whereby his character was possessed by the spirit of a prisoner known as 612. The prisoner of conscience reduced to a number. In 2004, I heard Sheikh Cohn's chilling account of his time spent in an Australian detention centre for asylum seekers. Cohn, a journalist, Forced to flee the Ivory Coast, was detained for three years and wrote about the dehumanizing effects of being reduced to a number. Cohn survived by writing about his experiences, and in doing so, he highlighted various human rights abuses. His description of his fellow inmates, some sewing up their lips in despair, the suicide attempts, children living behind razor wire, and the constant crying has stayed with me ever since. Today, Iranian journalist Beruz Bachani is in a similar situation. He composed his book, No Friend But the Mountains, one text message at a time from within his detention center. Earlier this year, he won Australia's top literary prize and delivered his acceptance speech via video from Manus Island, where he has been detained for the past six years. Like Sakui, he used words to create emotional distance, to escape in his imagination, to retain a semblance of order in order to survive and bear his continued incarceration. This proves that words still have the power to challenge inhuman systems and structures. I have always said that I believe in words and literature. I believe that literature has the potential to make change and challenge structures of power. Literature 
has the power to give us freedom. Yes, it is true. I have been in a cage for years, but throughout this time, my mind has always been producing words. And these words have taken me across borders, taken me overseas and to unknown places. I truly believe words are more powerful than the fences of this place, this prison. Not every asylum seeker is as articulate as Cohn and Buchani, and not everyone can easily find the words to describe their trauma and begin the healing process. After I left Penn, I began to mentor re refugees at right to, at right to Life, the creating writing group of Freedom From Torture. The charity provides refugees and asylum seekers with medical treatment, counselling and other forms of therapy. At Right to Life, we help them find a voice again and try to bring some order back into their lives. We hear about the pain of leaving behind loved ones and the struggles of building a new life. Many refugees suffer unbelievable loneliness. Some have forged new lives for themselves, but the endless struggle to assimilate takes its toll. Some have been forced to leave behind their children. Some are coping with bereavement. Some have lost their entire family. Writing allows them to process past trauma and brings them hope for the future. I helped Jay Jackson publish a collection of her work that describes her experiences from torture, flight, to finding a safe haven in the UK. Here's Jade reading one of her poems. Moving a country, move the evergreen trees, meandering rivers, lakes and seas, wild and domestic animals, birds of all sizes, pack them all up in the suitcase of my brain. Leave the soldiers covered in all sacks or place them on the tip of my foot. I will kick them into the deep blue sea so my head can't remember and my heart can't bleed and the dark memories can fade slowly away. I ran out of the house without packing anything, even my sanity. How can a country I called home become a butcher's den and my bed a foreigner's heaven? I walked through fire and find no water to cool my burning heart, only distant recollections, fond memories of my youth and the good old days. I search my head and heart, but the huge dark memories planted in my brain remain. I will treasure the good ones and lost the bad ones. Those fleeing poverty, conflict, torture or persecution deserve a wider audience, but over half the world's refugees are children. Some arrive on these shores 
utterly alone. Some don't make it. Remember that image of Alan Kurdi, the small Syrian toddler, his tiny body face down, washed up on a Turkish beach? That photograph was reproduced worldwide and helped temper the negative media for a short while. It was that photo that inspired me to ask some of our best-loved children's authors give these powerless and vulnerable people a voice in the anthology A Country to Call Home. Kit DeWall wrote about how refugee children weren't truly seen until that image shocked the world. In her story, she imagined Alan Kurdi's short life ending with these words. Did you see me when the waves bounced me up and away? Did you hear me shout? Did you see me running in the water? And when you touched me on the beach, I was cold and wet under your hand, the sand in my belly. You only saw me then. Others wrote about children sleeping rough in refugee camps like the jungle, or making the perilous journey across land. My hope is that their words will generate more positive perspectives regarding young asylum seekers and refugees. If we don't honor the redemptive fact that all modern humans belong to the same family, and that the children who've been abandoned in France are our children and our urgent responsibility, then there is no justice and no human history to be proud of. Sebastian Berry. I want to share a short extract with you from an essay by Hanif Qureshi, These Mysterious Strangers, the new story of the immigrant, which I included in an earlier anthology, A Country of Refuge. The immigrant has become a contemporary passion in Europe, the, the vacant point around which ideals clash easily available as a token, existing everywhere and nowhere. He is talked about constantly. But in the current public conversation, this figure has not only migrated from one country to another, he has migrated from reality to the collective imagination, where he has been transformed into a terrible fiction. Whether he or she, and I will call the immigrant he while being aware that he is stripped of colour, gender and character, the immigrant has been made into something resembling an alien. He is an example of the undead who will invade, colonise and contaminate. A figure we can't quite digest or vomit. If the 20th century was replete with uncanny semi-fictional figures who invaded the decent, upright and hard-working, the pure, this character is re-haunting us in the guise of the immigrant. He is both a familiar, insidious figure and a new edition of an old idea, expressed with a refreshed and forceful rhetoric. Hate skews reality even more than love. If the limits of the world are made by language, we need better words for all this. The idea of the immigrant creates anxiety only because he is unknown and has to be kept that way. The idea that 
writers are in a position to challenge preconceived ideas and stereotypes is a theme taken up by A.L. Kennedy in her essay, The Migrants. She observes, true art is not an indulgence, but a fundamental defense of humanity. She goes on to argue that writers and artists have a duty to respond to the media, propaganda, and public opinion as guardians of imagination, of wider thought, of culture. Because, she warns, imagination is on all sides apparently failing. And when it fails, it fails us all. Like Kennedy, I believe art is stronger than propaganda. Compassion, a more vital force than distrust. Words used imaginatively can create empathy. Words used wisely can bring order rather than chaos. Empathy can be learned. Kindness and empathy are within the grasp of us all. Thank you very much.